morning and welcome to your daily gameplays. I'm Dr. Kim Land and I'm laughing because he just told me he gave me empathy. I did. He had, to, he had to actually tell me that that was empathy because I couldn't identify that that was empathy because I think we're falling out of love. Because you weren't listening. <laughs> what did I say? You said we're just leaving that honeymoon period. No, no. About the about you being cold. I don't know. Something ridiculous. You told me about myself. last week. Last week I was a little you were sharp mean to with me you. Last week about me being cold, and this week it's freezing in here again. And I don't have a cold. I have allergies. So this week you said it, and I said it must be so frustrating to be cold. Oh, you did a validating statement. <laughs> I validated, yeah, I validated. And I didn't even bother to listen to it, really. No, exactly. I just figured it was something snarky, which it was, because it wasn't really empathy. It was not snarky it was at all. It was non-genuine. It was validation. Snarky <laughs> commentary, because we're falling out of love. That's not true. <laughs> Hi, Lou. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. I go till midnight tonight, so. Take it easy on me. Is this why you're in a bad mood? No, I'm not in a bad mood. Okay, what's the mood? What do we call this mood? Let's do our therapy to get it out of the way first. Let me get all my stuff in front of me. Mood is I'm down to business. You're down to business? Yeah. Well, I'm going to start singing, you don't bring me flowers anymore. <laughs> we fall, we're all out of love. I'm so lost without you. <laughs> <laughs> why are we going to go here? <laughs> Because I come in, it's like so lackluster today. God. Oh, you know why? It's You had a double dose of me this week. That's why. You've seen me oh, twice. Maybe. I've done two shows this week. One with Ron Kolek and you. Right. And now me and you. Maybe. But it's more I got to go to midnight. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> anyway, good morning. Look at what I'm holding. Oh, tickets. The last of the tickets. The last of them. I have good yes, for you. I've sold almost all of my tickets from. Congratulations! Thank you. I know I've got. I still have some more to go, but they will be gone. And if anyone's listening and has no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> I have to make sure I do my my very good plug for the New England Patriots Foundation. I'm running for them, the 126 Boston Marathon. I am running my eighth consecutive in a row. Last year, I wouldn't have called it running. I would have called it anything but that after the mile 16. But that's because, you know, I had a little metatarsal drop, but which I'm dealing with today, which is why I'm wearing the shoes I'm wearing, as you saw. Um, but anyway, it's my eighth in a row. And um, I am raising money for my wonder. I have I have lots of charities that I raise money for. But this one is one of my favorites. And I run this is my third year running for them. I love the New England Patriots Foundation. And mm -hmm. um they are in the phase of collecting nominations for local charities that are in New England. So if you live in any of the New England states, um, which include, here it comes, because people always add in certain ones that are not New England, but Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts. What do they add in? They add in New York. No. <laughs> New York is not New England. No, I'm even iffy on Connecticut, but that's a whole nother story. I know, but. Yeah. Um, right. So, I say this five and a half. <laughs> Nonetheless, you can go to the New England Patriots Foundation page and there's a nomination form. And if you have a local charity that you would like to nominate, that would be a sound recipient that you think deserves, you know, either the $10,000 scholarships that we give out or the $25,000 big one at the end of every year, um, which is what I raise this money for running the Boston Marathon. 
certainly do that. As I said last week, I'm nominating myself two of them. I'm nominating Into Action Recovery in Tuxbury, Massachusetts. It's a um, recovery center, um, rehabilitation, sober home for men mm -hmm. and women now. I believe they added in women. And also I'm doing Newhouse um, Animal Rescue in Chelmsford, Mass, because Jane Newhouse is a one-woman show who rescues all kinds of little critters and, mm -hmm. and rehabs and re and releases them and also keeps them if they can't be released. Um, so I have tickets that are $40 a piece. They are limited number of tickets, as you know, because mm -hmm. um, Lou has some. I do. Lou for supporting. Um, and uh, I, they're $40 a piece. And the prize that you can get out of the giveaway is you can pick either a Peloton bike, a Peloton treadmill, excluding the membership, because I will not be paying for your membership. Right. Um, but you do get a basic pack with it. And then if you don't want either of those, you get $2,500 cash, which, you know, you can keep or you can get back to the charity, which is great. Also, in addition to that, the New England Patriots has been kind enough um, to throw in some really cool um matches in terms of if you give fifty dollars or more to each of the runners you know your name gets entered every single time into um their giveaways which are they're giving away two tickets to three different season games of their choice mm -hmm. they're giving away um dante hightower stuff they're giving away uh matt slater stuff they're giving away a whole bunch of stuff yep stuff yep and then i have another event coming up because it never ends already. Well, it's a it's an event that's still related to the marathon. Oh, so on April second, I will be at um, O'Connor Hardware in um, Billerica, Massachusetts, because I'm doing um, another piece of the fundraiser. Just because I'm adding, and I have a whole bunch of my own swag of signed items and other kind of cool things that are going to happen for about four hours there, and nice. maybe some surprises. So if you want to drop on between uh, nine and three. That day down in Bill Rickham, Massachusetts at O'Connor Hardware, you come down and win some, you know, you have to, you know, pay a little money to get some cool prizes, but there'll be free coffee, probably some free pizza, things like that. And, you know, and some cool swag, maybe yeah. even some Tampa Bay Buccaneer stuff. Who knows? Oh, God. Because, you know, Tom Brady came out of retirement. I knew oh, it was going to come up, so I might as well put it there when you shake your head. Stop. <laughs> so anyway, there's my plug for that charity. And then... Speaking of um, charities, as I don't really talk about it very much, but as you know, I work for Big Cat Rescue mm -hmm. as the staff psychologist for them down in Tampa, Florida. Carol Baskin. I know that people probably are like, what? Um, very important piece of the fact that when you do rehab and release and rescue for animals, um, that people don't go out and hunt them and kill them. So we had a very sad it's thing important. happen that yes. one of our beautiful little bobcats that we rehabbed last year, whose name, her name was Venkman, Venkman. like from Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, we had, we had just started off with the Florida wildlife and game last year doing tracking to kind of get a sense of knowing Bobcat features. And there's some stuff going on down in um, Florida with the Bobcats with their health and um, some kind of neurological issues that have been going on. So we're trying oh, to track um, and a hunter killed our baby this week. So very sad. Bobcats? So can people stop doing that? Bobcats, they hunt bobcats? Uh, or they just happen I to see it even. and shot it? Um, no, they no, no they, they hunt, hunt them. Bobcat. So um, yeah, very sad because we lost. She was she was just barely over a year old and oh, we God. lost her. So, and I imagine that they wouldn't have 
reported it, my guess. I don't know. I imagine that the tracker might have scared them thinking, oops, oopsies, shouldn't yeah. have shot this bobcat. So um, there's a reason why there's rehab and release because we're trying to make sure that we don't lose animal population. And this is why there's only 500 tigers in the world left, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing, because people do this. Yeah. So it's very upsetting. And this is why I do a lot of my foundational work for animal rescues and other things. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why people would shoot a bobcat. Um, money for pelts. And because they, um, I'm going to be nice <laughs> because it's ego. Yeah. Our, sometimes egos get in the way. And uh, it's not because it's not, it, their pelts can bring in money. Yeah. And, um, and it's also bragging rights and it's like ridiculous and it's unnecessary and it's cruel and it's awful. And I'm very annoyed by it. Especially when I know the people that worked really hard to rehab this baby from like a kitten kitten. Yeah. And to, to see that she died like that. It's awful. Yeah. So, and she was released with her sister, Pia. So we know where Pia is. And, um, but Venkman had gone off and she had gone off into a bigger area. Yeah. And it's upsetting. It is. See, this is what happens when you get involved with all these charities. You end up getting pulled into the sad stories. So I have I have sad stories for all my charities. I can Whether imagine working veterans. With, working with animals is always emotionally. Well, struggle. working with animals, working with veterans and PTSD and families, working with people that are homeless. Like I have like a slew of, you know, all lots of amazing stories. But then there's the one. You know, it's it's like anything negative. You yeah. have a hundred great amazing things, and you have that one, and it's like, well, that just sucks the life right out of you. Yeah. So, but it gives you the reason why you do the work in the first place. But it's very sad. And um, so please be mindful because we do have beautiful North American bobcats up here in the area. And when I'm out in the White Mountains, often hiking, we do come across them and um, they are not going to hurt you. They will not. They're not like mountain lions, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you've seen probably YouTube videos that will attack you yes. and kill you. Um, bobcats are elusive and they are not. Um, they can take down deer and they can take, you know, if they're hungry enough and stuff. But. They are not um, like a coyote. People often on the pages on local pages will say things like, oh, bring your little animals in and don't let your dogs and cats. You know, bobcats don't do that. Bobcats are, they like, you know, birds and they're cats. They like yeah. birds and squirrels and rabbits and moles and bulls and that kind of stuff and snakes occasionally. And um, if they are going to go after something like your house pet, there's probably something wrong or yeah. they're starving or they're protecting something but it's really unlikely they're just usually just passing on through just to get to somewhere else yep. so um, people don't have to be afraid but i'm always writing stuff up on those blo- <laughs> on those posts saying stop telling people to be afraid of these cats they're not like that so yeah. so if you see one in the woods just let it go on by because they're very they're very skittish they'll be they'll yeah they'll be way away from you they'll see you way before you'll ever even think to see them so now if you come across a mountain lion yeah that's a different story because they'll kill you. <laughs> they will eat your face. So they really will. Anyway. I've heard. Yes. And I don't want to come across one of those. <laughs> what do you do? Mm. Um, well, I would do what the people that are doing with it. You yell and you scream and you keep, you know. But if you run, you become prey. Oh, yeah. So you people always run. say you yeah. run. Just like when they say, you know, run from a bear. You never run from a bear. 
because bear will chase you. And also they climb trees because people think, oh, climb a tree. Yeah. They all climb trees. Mm -hmm. Don't forget. Yep. So anyway, so there's my opener for the day. I'm only asking because I saw a video the other day telling you how to deal with an ostrich attack. An ostrich attack? Yep. Don't go near an ostrich because they're (laughs) naughty little birds. (laughs) They will. They're vicious. But they would they, big thing with all animals. Don't run. Right. First of all, they're but, very fast. Too. Yeah. But they were showing this woman with a couple of different techniques, which are interesting. One was just laying down. Yes. Well, when you have like you play dead with a bear, you mm-hmm. definitely play dead, especially if the bear has attacked you. You play dead. It seems you like can. a big gamble. Yeah. Playing dead because that's what they want. You dead, right? Well, they right, and then they'll they'll leave you alone. But if you're if you're still standing and it hasn't actually attacked you, you and you should have bear spray. Think these are things that they teach you in Montana. You know, spray them obviously. Make sure you like be bigger than them. You try to yell, scream, and all that stuff. But usually, the like a grizzly bear attack, from my understanding, not that I've ever been in one, thank God. Um, it's usually a baby issue. Like you yeah. come up on a baby or, or a den or something like yep. that. So there's usually, it's usually not without provocation of some sort or threat. So if the bear sees you as a threat or the mountain lion or the cougar sees you as a threat, then that's why. For the mountain it's, not, lion, it's not because they want to eat you. Well, I was going to say the mountain lion doesn't see you as prey. It's, it's a threat situation. It's a, it's a threat. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. not to eat. So they have other things. That's just to keep you away. Yeah. Yeah. A lion will eat you. <laughs> a tiger will eat you. Yes. Totally different. Yeah. So, yes. Um, and, and also because of threat, but they will also eat you. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't plan on being anywhere lions and tigers are. So You what? I don't plan on being anywhere lions and tigers are. So uh, Yes. And Cameron just said ostriches are very scary. Yes. Well, they're not really scary when you're just near them in like, um, you know, a normal. Well, this woman was holding one off at the chest level. And then showing, apparently, you raise your hand above your head, try to get... To be bigger than them. Yeah, I know. So now that we've covered all these... Don't imagine being attacked by an ostrich either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to go back to last week at the end of the show, I noticed one of the comments someone mentioned. um, So now we're going to go into like our regular show now. um, that they wanted to know what was what was my definition of soul sucking. Yeah. I believe that was the question, wasn't it? The question yes. that I noted. Yeah. From your friend in yeah. New Jersey. Staten Island. Anyway, mm-hmm. soul sucking. My definition of soul sucking. I guess it could change a little bit here and there, but it, it basically means the same thing. Which is hopefully he's listening. Is when someone essentially drains your your emotional mental energy. Um, and physical usually, but it's the the whole overall soul sucking is the depletion of of the energy that you could utilize better if you didn't have this person toxically in your life. In the cases of what we were talking about last week, so so you know that they essentially fill they fill their cup up yeah. by draining yours. Right. And narcissists notoriously will be an empty cup. Narcissists are empty cups typically if they're if they're if they're benign but on the border of being malignant you know not yet sociopathic but have that real (laughs) hard tendency yeah they will be an empty cup so they look for how to fill their cup up by being love bombers and getting all these wonderful things and then getting you sucked in right and then what do they do then they then they take it away from you 
and what happens when they take it away from you. They, it's like they breathe all the energy from you physically and mentally, and it fills their cup up while it drains yours. And then when yours is drained, then they go after you because that keeps their cup full by them gaslighting you and doing more and more until you deplete. And then they find someone else until you fill your cup back up somehow. And then they come back to you. And then, you know, that's how people get into those relational codependency, narcissistic relationships. Um, So if you feel that you should run, (laughs) run, but more often than not, by the time you're in that, you're in it. Yeah. And it's very hard to extract yourself. And so it takes a lot of work. So I'm working with someone right now who's just in their third session of realizing that they are married to someone who has been that way all their life and has been made to feel that it was them yeah, by the other person and has come to the realization that it's actually not them. And we're doing a lot of... Uh, thought testing of distortion of is it me or is it them because they've been so convinced that it's them and how in in they're trying to say well how do I know me Dr. Kim how do I know if it's not and I say I don't but given the fact that you're so aware of it and so like spot on about these things that it's more likely not necessarily all you know perfect but it's more likely that you're not the one that is and you've just been convinced yeah so we're doing a search. It's funny. You go through that phase when you're dealing with a narcissist. Who's the narcissist? Me or them? Yeah. There's a point where you go through that question. Well, because the narcissist will, and here's one of the reasons why I know that it's not this person mm-hmm. likely, right? Clinically is that the, they are going through that process. They're of asking the question. Them and the other person yeah. has convinced them so much yep. that it is them and has gaslit them with all the highlighted top 11 things that you do when you gaslight someone that, um, that it's clear that it's that way, but you definitely, most people will go through that. Is it me or is it them? And that's a gaslight because one of the, when you're questioning yourself and going back and forth, that's actually the gaslighting that the person that you're with has taught you how to do to yourself. So you end up inevitably gaslighting yourself. Because part crazy? of the part of the gauntlet of going through that type of relationship is everything is your fault. Right. And whenever you bring up a complaint about something they're doing, they turn it around to being your fault. Right. Yeah. Right. Or you they bring can up talk something about and something they say you can't talk about something. Yeah. They, or you bring if they up said they're sorry, then that means that it's over. Yeah. You bring up something and they say, Why are you being so dramatic? Right. And it takes the emphasis off what their problem is and and puts you to blame for those for the conflict in the relationship. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Or someone being like, you know, you need to relax. You're so sensitive. You need to chill out. Like when you've got that kind of stuff happening, mm, yeah. <laughs> you might want to have a little red flag or two or five in there. Yeah. So, so I just wanted to bring that back to the, that's, that's part of the soul sucking that process. And when you have, I think I talked last week about benign, versus malignant narcissists. So you have benign, there's like six, five or six types of different ways of being benign in it. And the more you accumulate those benign symptoms and features, the more malignant you become. And the malignant narcissist is the real sociopathic kind of no remorse, like that person who's, you know, maliciously just going after you with no with with all with all full guns blazing because they just have no <laughs> yeah. they have no sensor for themselves to filter and they're not going to because they're so damaged they just want you to be damaged with them. So, Plus, after a certain point in a relationship, they realize there's no or they believe there's no consequence right for their behavior. So the 
uh, behavior gets, first of all, you're seeing more and more flaws. So it's harder to gaslight you. Right. And then they're seeing no consequence for their behavior. So they're just going further and further. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And then by the time that that happens and the narcissist and the, and the narcissism is so deeply rooted to, to extract yourself from the relationship is where the problems become, you know, that's why I always talk about, you know, people with bat, like when they're in battered situations, they're with narcissists, batterers or narcissists. Um, and to leave. So, you know, often the question is, well, why doesn't she, and I'm not going to be gender biased in this because there's many men who are, um, battered as well. Why won't, why can't they leave? Why don't they just leave? Well, yes, there's, it's because they get, it's money and it's dependency, all these things. So on the surface, which isn't surface as in minimalizing, it's just the surface It's these things, but underneath that, it's the, the deeply rooted weeds and that are holding them in route to the beating down of the mind that they can't make it out on the world on their own because the narcissist has made them feel like they, they lack so much because the narcissist actually is the person that feels like that. Yep. So but you've been, if you, one of the reasons so hard to get out of those relationships is you've been hand selected Yes. as a person who will hold on. Yes. A person who won't give up on these types of situations. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you, that's because, your partner because narcissists attract people who will put up with this type of baby. Right. And, and my, I get a question, I get questioned all the time. What does it mean? Like how, how do people all of a sudden just end up with people like that? You know, that in, oh, oh they always find me kind of thing. It's not really how that works. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain because it's kind of ethereal because it's not a structure in the brain, but our brains do in that limbic the system in our brain, the emotional center, we are trained as children to pull for, that's what I call it. We pull for what we know. So if we are fixers or if we are people who like to make sure that people are okay and that they're, we nurture them and we would rather put their needs before our needs first. And, and we're trained to do that to, to the extent that we neglect ourselves because we've been modeled that we will, we will get pulled towards people who will do that. And those are usually in these cases, love bombers. They, they, you know, initially they are so loving and charming and they don't look like they need you. No, they they look like they've got it together. They look like they've got it together. They Mm -hmm. present, I I call it presenting very well. Everybody loves them. And they, and they have everything to give an offer. And then all of a sudden they don't, but it's not all of a sudden. It's usually that, you know, that one or two year period that gives, you know, that whole, it's the laying, you know, laying it all across the board and just putting it in motion, you know, culling you, um, guiding you doing all the things to set it in motion and then all of a sudden you real all of a sudden you do realize uh oh i have a problem well first you go through the phase of how could a human being do that mm-hmm. and but your answer is well they have struggles they're troubled so i'll just continue to fix them and support them right because how yeah. bad can it get right right i mean can't get that the only bad. reason a human being would treat you that way is because they're struggling and they're troubled. So. Right, because they have their own, they've got their own issues. It's and my their... self worth is in fixing things, so I'm going to fix things. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so when you're in my field, <laughs> um, it's very interesting because people, um, 
when they're first becoming counselors, now I'm, you know, I train counselors. They, that's one of the questions that counselors will say is how do you not get pulled in by your clients who are narcissists is that you, you always are detached from yeah. any, nothing of theirs is yours. So there is no connection. There is no, um, there is no uh, pull. That's just awareness. Awareness. It's just, of, it's just being constantly aware yeah. of that everything could mean something in terms of, you know, oh, you know, I'll bring you this or I'll do that for you. Or and it's like, you know, unless you have a long term relationship, like, and I think any colleague of mine would say is like, unless you've seen been seeing someone for 15, 20 years, like I have patients that I've seen for that long. I mean, we'll sit down and have they'll bring their lunch, I'll have my lunch and we'll eat together, but we're not like going out for lunch, right, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's just that because because there's a boundary right um because well, it's, it's detached from any meaning of having that it's, it's just two people talking while they're having lunch but there's no meaning created around having a socialization together well the narcissist relationship requires the narcissist pathology and your pathology as well right so being aware of them and right. what how they're working and being aware of yourself and what may or may not make you susceptible or your own personal strength keeps you from from falling for that right and it's interesting because i i have colleagues that won't work with personality disordered people and then i do work with personality disordered people um i don't work with many i actually i will vet my clients and refer this is what we're supposed to do you know we refer out if we feel that they're not a good match mm -hmm. um so i will work with certain personality disorders just because i feel capable of being able to do it always have for a variety of reasons that we always talk about off air. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm well versed in certain personality <laughs> disorders. Yeah. Um, so I have a strength in that. And so um, it's easier for me, I think, to sit with someone with a personality disorder or the features because I'm hardened to that pull. I don't get, I don't get guilted. I don't get shamed. I don't get that, you know. Well, that's strong self-worth. Right. Because, and and that, yeah. that sense. And it's also not, and this is what I tell my students is when people come in and they leave, they, they're, you don't take that home. Their problems don't come home with you. And that's one of the things that burns, um, psychologists and social workers and mental health workers and so on. And, and people in addiction work out is that they yeah. bring their clients stuff home and I don't do that. So it's, there's no pull. So there is no I mean, obviously, in your head, if someone calls you and they have an emergency, that's different. But it's not like I'm going home thinking about, right. you know, Sally, who's got, you know, blah, blah, blah issue with their husband, Bob. And how am I going to fix it next time? Occasionally, I'll think of things because there's like a kid case or something like that. But it's not coming home on me. That's what burns social workers so often and so consistently. Is they don't have those that self-awareness and they don't have the awareness of the operating, they don't have enough time with the person to understand their operating procedures right. and understand what they're, you know, the game, for lack of a better word, the game that they're running. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that you see a lot of times that people who go to therapy don't get better um, because they, you know, you get what you give. So if you're only giving your therapist, two things here, if you're only giving your doctor information that you're vetting yourself and you're not being fully open and disclosing, you're only going to get back what, you know, I've seen many people say, I think you're doing really well. We don't need to see each other anymore. 
And by the time the person gets to me, because they feel like they didn't get anywhere with that, you know, the blowing off of the last therapist, they'll come and I'll say, what happened? And time and again, I'll get people say, well, I had like, you know, I was with him for two or three years and, you know, we just were, were like friends and we didn't really, I never did any work and I felt bad talking to them about that. Like, and it's because they didn't. I get um, ghosted by a therapist. Huh? I get ghosted by a therapist. I, you know, but what, that's a far- story for another time. Oh but, my yeah. gosh. Well, I was yeah. going to say, I've had some interesting stories, especially over the past two and a half, three years of some, like some of the telehealth stuff and, and people in therapy and some very bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> makes, it makes my field look not so good. <laughs> um, but people, um, yeah, it's really interesting. And she like, was respected. She was, a, she is a forensic psychologist. So. The person that ghosted you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> sure you don't want to share it on air? <laughs> <laughs> I could share it on air. I'd... Um, I, I think that... I, I just, Well, it was just one of those points where it had run its course. We'd been doing it for a long time. Yeah, there is an ethical obligation, though, that like... Yeah, know, that's the, that was the part that was unusual. The, there's an ethical obligation that you... Have that if conversation. If you're going to terminate, yeah. as we call it, if you're going to terminate service, you tell the person that... There's a termination of service, and this is why. And what I liked about her was she was challenging. She never let me get away with anything. Right. Which is why I was surprised. You, know, you have that conversation. What's the problem? Well, maybe yeah. if she was a forensic psychologist. Maybe did one of her clients hurt her? I mean, is <laughs> she still alive? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I haven't followed it up. I mean, you never know. Yeah. Some I have a so like I have a client that I took on after their therapist ghosted them, and. It was concerning to me because it damaged this person. Oh, did it? It, You know, not damn it, but it damaged their, their, their self-esteem of like why they took it personal. And I was like, there's gotta be something. Cause it's so unusual for something like that to happen. Cause you know, that would think, wow, there's narcissism. Right. And come to find out the, the, this therapist did not, she did it to all of her clients. And I, I found her and called her and said, Hey, just checking in. Don't know. You know, certainly you don't know me, but yeah. And um, she had a death in the family and she sort of fell off her own radar mm. and couldn't get herself back together. Couldn't get herself back to calling anyone to tell like Fair enough. so months. Yep. So she just, her whole client load dropped her whole business fell apart, everything. And, and that was it. And she didn't call anybody. And, but when I finally got a hold of her and I just said, Hey, you know, if you could give me a call back and you know, no harm, no foul, she did. And then I found out and I told this person who became my client and they were so relieved yeah. because they just, one, they were glad that she was okay, but they were also very relieved that it wasn't them. So here it was like this person who was my client who was already ha- feeling narcissistically injured yep. from their own fractures and their, and their ego. By the way, a good life lesson, isn't it? Yeah. Oftentimes it's not about you. Right. Well, well, and that's the whole thing about like, you know, anxiety itself. You know, oftentimes people universalize anxiety as, well, everything's about me and it's about me. And I, and my whole thing is, yeah, it's 99.9% never about you, but you just think it is. Right. So it's usually something completely outside of your, your realm, but people get really, really anxious. It's because of what they think you think about them. It's what the world thinks about them. It's what they think that they think that you think that they think. It's that whole thing about all these other, um, the committee that has, I call it the committee that has no faces and no names (laughs) have a lot of impact on who you are as a person. And so when I say that's a narcissistic injury, that's not a, it's not a 
bad thing as in we're talking malignancy. We're talking that every time you get a self-esteem hit, we call, I call it a, a narcissistic injury because it's a hit to the ego, right. your reality of who you are. Right. So if your perception is, is that someone's ghosted you because of something you've done or something about you, you're going to have more fracture there. Especially a professional. You. <laughs> Especially a professional. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's not supposed to do that. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, it's like the same. It's like the same relationship injury, because when when someone leaves you oh, it's, with narcissists, especially this is one of the strengths of the narcissist relationship is right. that that person love bombed you. They supposedly adore you. They think the world of you, and all of a sudden you're bad to them. Right. So how bad am I really that I turn this person who, who, you know, loved me into hating me? Right. You know, or ang that or kind of anger negative, and rage, whatever the yeah, negative right. is. Yeah, exactly. Right. So differentiate <clears throat> for me because this is. I think this is important. Dealing with this, compare and contrast narcissists with borderline personality disorder. Oh, because it's very close, but you deal with them differently, don't you? Well, so there. So okay, very good question. I that question you are so smart um even though we're i'm still mad are you validating we're still, me? We're still breaking up <laughs> um so there's a difference between there is a big there is a big difference mm -hmm. between narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. but they present somewhat similarly at times they yeah well yeah. all personality disorders can present similarly so you mm -hmm. have so well within this cluster so because yeah, right. we have there's cluster a cluster b cluster c this cluster which has histrionic which is the dramatic like you and i both have a little histrionics that's why we do what we do for a living right because yep. you know because we have features of that because sure. our reality is that we like to entertain yeah right yep. so there's part of us um and then i do it through an alter ego exactly yeah so then there's the mm -hmm. narcissistic personality disorder in the same cluster and then there's borderline personality disorder in the same cluster etc so so histrionic has its pieces, which is, you know, the over dramatist, the over the top, everything is, you know, yep. like, you know, on stage. Yep. All right. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. That's mm -hmm. the easiest way to describe it. It's yeah. much more than that. But it, it, with features, that's your biggest feature. Narcissist, we've been belaboring that point for the past four weeks, which people are getting lots out of. And then when we come to borderline, so borderline personality disorder is actually in my field, we call it the kiss of death diagnosis. One, because personality disorders, we tend not to put them down on our treatment stuff because when you put treatment, when you put personality disorders down as full-blown personality disorders, they follow you forever. Yeah. As do all, like if you say you're suicidal or whatever, it goes with your chart everywhere. But personality disorders, when you see that in a chart, that comes with a very different, unfortunate label that makes treatment sometimes not go healthy for you. So we try not to, we try to put like a deferred on our access to, which is access to is personality disorders in our, okay. in our diagnostics. Yep. Um, you guys, now everyone's getting way more information than they probably <laughs> want. But so borderline personality disorder is called the kiss of death diagnosis because um, it's one of, the, it's the hardest personality disorder to treat. People with it tend not to know that they have it. Even harder they, than narcissism? What? Even harder than narcissism? Yes. Clinical narcissism. Yes. Because I thought that was because the point of no return too. Is so well. So the yeah. clinical, the malignant narcissist, which would be more of the sociopath, right? Yeah. Is is bad, hmm. right? There's a point of no return in that because obviously, I mean, it can lead to Ted, Ted Bundy, yeah. <laughs> clearly, right? right? Um, but the borderline personality disordered person is the hardest to treat. 
um, because there's such a, there's so many pieces of emotional dysregulation that you don't have in the other personality disorders. Not to say there isn't, but there's relational disconnect that's so deep um, and so striking. I'm trying to find the right words so that it's not offensive to people because we think of it certain ways. Um, it's emotional dysregulation. It's using very distorted, flawed thinking that's paranoid and suspect. Um, it's self-injurious. It's also harming to others can be. Um, there's a lot of parasuicidal behaviors that come with it that the other personality disorders don't have. Um, and it's, uh, I love you. I hate you. Rela very damaging relationships. Um, usually there's an underlying abuse that's happened to a person, usually sexual in nature, not always, I'm generalizing, of some sort that has preempted the this to become something mm -hmm. in early teens. We don't typically ever diagnose borderline personality disorder until someone's much later into their late after 18, 19, 20. So if someone comes in and says, oh, the 13 year old has borderline, I just, I, yeah. I ignore that because that's a 13 year old potentially. Yeah. Um, but we watch for things like that because it's, we do not diagnose that very often because it's just not something that most people would have. Um, it's typically found in females more than men, although men do have borderline personality disorder. Um, it presents a little bit differently, uh, but it has the same features and, um, and it just has some really specific things that go with the diagnostic category of, of how it comes to be. Whereas narcissism, histrionics, paranoid uh, um, personality disorder, all those come with, for lack of anything else, that comes with just damaged ego over time. Like, you know, your, your reality is just yeah. perceptively off. Um, borderline personality disorder comes from that and all these other pieces that go with it. And it, and it's very difficult to treat. Um, I treat, I do treat borderline personality disorder. Um, it's a very specific protocol. Um, getting serious for just a second, because actually it's very serious to treat it because um, to treat it correctly, there's a four prong approach is that not only do you treat the person that has it one-to-one, -one, they are supposed to be in a group doing it with other people, oh, interesting uh, treatment yeah. as well. You as the therapist need a colleague that you're doing a debrief with at least every so often. I mean, the protocol is a little different for different people, but you have to be doing that. And then you should be doing like, um, like a, like a supervision kind of thing <laughs> around it so that you have other people that are collaborating with you on it, which kind of has fallen off a lot of the protocols unless you're working in a hospital. So as an individual, I do all those pieces, but that extra one, but, um, pro the protocols for borderline personality treatment are, uh, very rigid because there is no boundary crossing, which there isn't anyway in, in regular therapy, but there's no, if like, if you miss an appointment, like for my other client, if someone misses an appointment, I will schedule them right away. But if a borderline person misses an appointment, it usually comes with certain flair and flavor and it will become a thing. And so you have to set a boundary that you can't call me 
until your next appointment, you must show for your next appointment or else there. So there's right. very specific boundaries and structure around it. Whereas with your typical everyday client without that disorder, you don't have to do that. So it's called dialectical behavior therapy, which is different than all the other therapies. Um, a very famous woman, her name is Marsha Linehan, has made this protocol, works beautifully. McLean Hospital down here in Belmont, Massachusetts, which yeah. is one of the most famous psych hospitals, which yes. is when I was yeah. trained at. Um, they have a huge DBT and borderline clinic for people that have to go through it. It's pretty, it's, it's serious because people suffer lifelong. Um, and then some people who actually have good awareness of it do beautifully and can get good help and actually can um, come out of it and do really well, rare, but, but that's why it's the kiss of death. Cause it's much more the, You'd want any other of the personality disorders. If you're going to have one, that's not the one you want. I'm going to I'm going to use the term probably totally inappropriately here. Okay. But um, we talked about narcissism, and everybody has some narcissism. There's a spectrum. Right. There's a there's a whole area Continuum, before right. a clinical diagnosis of right. narcissism or malignant narcissism, yeah. as you talked about it. Is it the same with borderline personality disorder, or you have it or you don't? Do people have tendencies of it? <laughs> without... People can have features of it. Yeah. So all the all the personality disorders can have features. It's a matter of how many of the features are then there and comprised of it that make it actually the full-blown diagnosis. So that's where that's where you're correct at the beginning when you said narcissistic and borderline are similar because in the clusters of personality disorders there's a lot of overlapping features. features kind of yeah. like anxiety and ADHD and PTSD all have similar features but then we have a differentiator here or there that right. will make it uh we know that it will go this way if it's this and this way if it's this that's the same thing with these personality disorders so it's you know and it's not a course because it's psych it's we can only know so much in terms of like we you know we see these six things and we know that these six things have to be there to make it full-blown so usually in personality disorders there have to be six or eight, depending on, you know, specific diagnostic criteria that are met. And, and you go down the checklist and if it's this, then it's this, and then it's this. Now people who are listening might say, well, that's just academic. You're looking at a book when you do it for as long as I've been 26 years and, and life, it's not just knowing that you also get a feel, you get an intuition sure. about enough of, you have the history of the person, you know, there's a, a background of abuse or some nine times out of 10 in any of the borderline personality disordered people I have treated, they've had a sexual abuse history of some sort and they've been abandoned or neglected emotionally. Abandonment, people always think that somebody has had a parent leave or something like that. That's not what it means. It means that, that could be just a very permissive or indulgent parent where they're there, but they've checked out. So they're yeah. not really a parent present. Abandoned and that's in place. neglectful and abandoning <laughs> yeah. to the yeah. child. So therefore the relationship uh, ability to be built right out of the gate is poor. So they have a deficited environment growing up in right out of the gate. And then they start adding on all these things. Cause usually that leads to relational issues, which is the underpinning of borderline is when they're borderline, you're on the line, yeah. right? You're on the line of being able to be stable or not stable. You're in your right mind or in your wise mind. So we use, we try to get people to be in their right minds by being mindful, by putting them into their wise mind and making good, healthy decisions and trying to be rational, realistic, and reasonable with what really is going on perceptively, as opposed to the distortion of nobody loves me. 
if you do this for me, that means you do love me. If you don't, it means you don't love me. It's very concrete. So you're taking someone's distortions and putting them into a place where is that really evidential evidentiary of truth? Right. And, and, um, and are you using your wise mind? So a lot of the basic protocols often are like an owl mind, you know, an yeah. owl's mind using wise mind yep. versus like pick your non wise mind animal. My, my, differentiation is always being you can disabuse me of this because I'm, I'm as i'm hearing this i'm feeling i'm wrong is that borderline personality people don't have any empathy narcissists do have empathy they just they manipulate it they may not feel it but they understand it borderline personality people just do what they do and really don't you know they're just operating they're not really concerned no no so yeah. so no yeah i would say that narcissistic people tend to not have empathy and tend not to have awareness of empathy, can fake empathy, can maneuver. Yeah, that was my point. They are, they're aware of it, but they don't. Narcissists. Yeah, they're aware of they it, can. but they don't uh, follow. But they don't borderline, pay attention to Borderline it. personality disorder people have empathy, but will withhold it or overutilize it oh, okay. to get what they need yep. because it's a coping strategy. Yep. So there's... so. I'd flip the way yep. you said it. Right. Um, everything, everything, instead of it being a label so that people get that in the, in their minds this way is that everything is a coping strategy. So whenever someone has a personality disorder and there's a tactic or strategy being used to get what they need, it's a coping strategy. They've learned how to compensate for what they've lacked getting to get their needs met by doing this behavior. Mm -hmm. So people, you see this a lot in schools. Like when I worked in the school system as a clinical psychologist there for a long time ago, um, people would, teachers would come to me and say, oh, so-and-so is so manipulative. And I would correct them and say, they're maneuvering the situation because they're trying to get what they need because it's a coping strategy. Right. You know, and then I'm seen yeah. as Pollyanna, but it's true. And I wanted people to get to see that manipulation is, yeah, it has negative connotation, but it's, it's, it's working for this person. This person's using that as a tool to get what they need. Right. So what do you do? You find out what is it that you really need instead of falling prey to the, the behavior or the event and getting angry at the person for being manipulative, air quoting, you, you say, gee, Lou, what is it that you need? What are you asking for? You know, you yep. don't have to act out. You don't have to scream and throw the chair across the room to get what you need. What is it that you really need? Give them another route to yeah, you, get what you they have, need. And what the problem with with people like that have a personality disorder to the, the full-blown extent, no one ever asks them, nor did they ask them when they were young, what do you need? The child was always left to try to figure out how to get what they need by doing something over the top crazy because right. it's the only way they right. get attention. So you'll see a lot of attention-seeking behavior in borderline personality disorder. You won't see attention-seeking behavior quite in the same way in narcissistic personality disorder because the need base is different, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. So borderline personality disorder is everything is, is an, an effort to try to regulate the emotional state. The narcissist doesn't want attention, no. what you're talking about, because attention to their needs would, right. would expose their their deficit. personality right. yeah, yeah. Expose, See, you're getting it yeah expose the thing that they're most fearful of you knowing right yeah. right right whereas i have no needs 
Exactly. Because yeah. I'm amazing. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is one, you know, that, that's one type of narcissist right there is just the, and it's a, it's a, it's the, it's the grandiose narcissist and it's, it's benign, but it's annoying, right? Yeah. It's the eye roller. It's yeah. the one you go, oh God, you know, I, I had a, I had a, she may be listening. So I, I I'm know like people. <laughs> I'm like a flame to these people. <laughs> I don't um, know why, but I'm like I, a flame I knew people in college. People. I'll put it that yeah. way. I knew people in college that when you would say like, oh, I did this, they would say they did it. And then they did it five other times and they did 15 other things too. And they had, you know, yep. sugar on top and you'd be like, oh my God. Yep. So, and I just always go back to the college days because there, there were just a couple in our lives. We had a big group of us as women Yeah. and we'd have that, that look around the room eye roll that was always there I'm like oh, but but in she's college gonna say it she's gonna say she's gonna one-up us here it comes in college you get that palette though there's oh, usually yeah. a bunch of people around so you get to compare and contrast personalities right so it stands out it's less that way in adult life right yeah exactly well it's not what it's less that way only because we're not as exposed in the we're not yeah you don't have 12 so, people in a room all right. the time to, we're, yeah. we're not living six people in a, yeah. in a suite or in a house right. yeah in that way. Well, we are for in a big family, but usually there's yeah. some kind of containment field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Usually there's a containment around that in some way. Yeah. Um, but when you have uh, six women living together, it makes it quite different. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just, I'm smiling because I just have this, this whole <laughs> scenario in my head of like, yeah, yeah. I've, I've known some, I've known some good narcissists in my day. So are you good at being narcissist or good people who are narcissists? I've known some good people who are narcissists mm -hmm. and I've known some good narcissists who I don't want to be around because <laughs> they're so good at it. Yeah. So, so there can be both. Right. So the fun ones are like you talked about the benign ones who you just, the eye roll. Yeah. Nice, yeah. So, well, because you love them. Yeah. Like I have one, like a really amazing friend from college that love her to death and you know, it's been 30 years and I still go, I'd, I'd still rather go to lunch with you and listen to your stories. than I know what you're going to say already. And I don't even bother, but, that's... but I joke with her. I'll be like, wait. And then she'll laugh, but she has never corrected the behavior. She's never correct. Cause she knows that I will be like, Oh wait, you're going to tell me you did. And she's like, oh, stop. And then she'll go into the story anyway. <laughs> but that that's a good example of dealing with narcissists. It's about limiting your contact right. to a point where it's not soul sucking you to wrap it back around. Again. Exactly. Because what are they called? The emotional vampires. Exactly. Right. Yes. You know, and the you, very so, definition of soul sucking. Right. And so, so to your contrast and compare point to borderline personality disorder, you can have soul sucking from that because it's um, the, the, the person wants the relationship so badly with you, but they will do everything to damage it because that's their way of getting you to get closer. And they'll, it's a rare person that will find someone that will fall into the pattern, but there are people. So it's, it's a, it's a weird narcissism is harder i think to get away from sometimes than borderline personality yeah. relationships because they're obvious in my at least in my opinion and also in my anecdotal evidence they're easier to spot because they're so dysregulated so quickly and so easily and you can see it if you're not used to it then you get pulled in or you get soul sucked easier to that but i'm so used to seeing it but you and so with a narcissist, I have, I have enough borderline people around me yeah. in my growing up years that I have enough 
bank. <laughs> so I can see it go, ah! Uh, borderline is kind of crossing. Well, correct me again if I'm wrong. Borderline is kind of crossing in the night. A narcissist will seek you out and find you. You're, yes. you're in a relationship yes. because you fit. Yes. You know, you, you're susceptible absolutely. to it. I mean, there's definitely borderline, some seeking out in the across. borderline yeah. personality too, but it's in yeah. a different way. Yeah. I mean, there's some definite nuances that are there um, that are that differentiate it for sure. Right. Um, but but the narcissist, you know, you're in a relationship with them because you were targeted, and it's not mm -hmm. necessarily a conscious targeting. Yeah, but, it's it's all that's why yeah. I call it the pull. The it's an underlying subconscious and unconscious yeah. pulling for it. And you we, each have a part. The right. narcissist and you, right. and you which have ends a part. up making that's yeah. where. Where when you have really strong codependent bonds that happen like an addiction and you see people all, you know, when you see a group of addicts that are not in recovery together, no disrespect to that. Right. But if you see like people that constantly go back to the same heroin house or the same packy and they all hang together and yep. there's a reason it's there's that personality piece that keeps them together because they're reinforcing it together. Yep. They're all feeding off of it and no one's getting any. And, and that's why when, you know, it's the crabs in the bucket, when the one crab is trying to get out and they want help and they go to rehab and they want the help, you see all the others either like trying to pull the crab back in the bucket saying, you don't need that. You can cut one more time, you know, and that one more time yeah. is usually when you get the overdose. Right. Kind of like the last ski run, not to make it minimal, but you know, it's like you, you don't, when you know you're ready, you, instead of hitting bottom and overdosing, you go. So the same kind of thing. So when you're in a personality disordered issue or you see it, don't be the crab in the bucket. Keep getting pulled back in. It's, you know, because you feel bad. People feel bad. They don't want to leave. They think they can help. They think they can fix. No, you can't. Because that's their only link to reasonable and acceptance right. is that someone else is doing it with them. Otherwise, if they have to turn and face their addiction problem, that's well, no a one, stark, that's a well, stark look. No, no one's there to fill up their cup. Right. Right. So people look to have their cup filled. So in all these different personality disorders, everybody needs their cup filled somewhere and they go to externals. You're yeah. not personality disordered if you're, if, let me back that up. Personality disordered people look outside of themselves to fill. When you do not have those tendencies to that extent, you don't need the external to fill. Your self-esteem comes from I'm a good person and not like, you know, you look in the right. mirror and you're like, I'm a good person. I've done good today. It doesn't matter at the end of the day what Bill, Bob, Sue, yep. Sally, no pick on, I just pick random names, you know, what they think, <laughs> you know, you're not looking for the extra fill. We all need pats on the back. We all need praise. Sure. We all need the kudos, but it's not filling us. It's not that we, you know, we can go through life and not have to have that. And one, and then once in a while, someone come along and say, Hey, add a boy or great job. And you're like, Oh, thanks. And, but it's not, like, you know, the person that has the personality disorder will be like, oh, well, it's no big deal. I didn't do anything. It's like, well, there's a self-esteem issue. <laughs> you said that borderline is is more female than male. It, you find it more diagnosed in females than men. Is that true in narcissism, too? Because narcissism, men would seem more susceptible mm -hmm. because men are raised as fixers. That's... Men, men tend to show their narcissism more than females do. No, men tend to get sucked into narcissism more than females because they're raised as fixers. Their, their self-worth comes from from rescuing, be it the white knight. That's that's how male men were raised for a long men, period well, of time. Women tend to be nurturers by nature and men tend to be fixers, right? And yeah. doers in that way. However, the... Well, nurturing is a filling a need too, so yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but in narcissism, you're going to see, um, there's two things here. 
clinically, I think statistically that narcissists in numbers are going to be seen higher in male presentation. But anecdotally, I see it across the board yeah. um, pretty equally. Um, the presentation of the narcissism is very different in men than women. And so I'm thinking in addiction, because I work a lot with it, people who have addiction issues. When people are in active addiction, male narcissism is very different than female narcissism. Females tend to be incredibly depressed and down and low in their addiction um, and don't utilize that strategy as much. Men do. Mm -hmm. And in their addiction, it makes them more grandiose. It makes them bigger and larger than life, especially when they're using. When they're all on equal playing field in terms of going into sobriety and they're not using anything, um, then that's when you see where their narcissism truly is on the spectrum. And if it's truly narcissism or was it the drug bringing out the feature that was trying to protect them as the coping strategy? Yeah. Wow. So it's an interesting... Yeah. Um, dynamic and it's not it's not it's very complicated that's why people it's you know people often think of it as like oh it's either this or that no it's not and the other thing i was going to point out for people is um and i have this in my class all the time is the overuse of personality disorder oh it, it, a person has split personality or they have bipolar or they're so bipolar that's what they say okay bipolar disorder has nothing to do with personality disorders and and that's a whole different type of of diagnosis and it's organic in nature and brain chemistry and um, has to do with mood dysregulation, but not personality disorder regulation. Um, and then uh, split personality, first of all, there's no such thing. Uh, it used to be called multiple personality disorder. Now we call it dissociative identity disorder. It's super rare. It's very uncommon. Mm -hmm. I've only ever seen one case in my entire life, which is more than most people. And it's because I worked at McLean hospital. Yeah. Um, it's very, 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 I mean, one, in, I don't know, I'm going to go like one in millions kind of thing. I'm sure the statistic is out there, but it's really rare. So, but that also is not borderline or narcissistic or whatever. Di dissociative identity disorder specifically comes around tremendous trauma um, and separation because of the anxiety it creates to create off separate people within oneself as personas right. to protect oneself, which is a whole different topic. And there is no connection between them other than I laughingly referred to myself as having an alter ego, which I do, but there's a connection between the two. I, I'm aware of them. Right. Well, yeah. we all have, yeah. we all have different personas. So yeah. if we were to, we all have our social persona, our home persona, our right. school persona, our work persona. Right. So if you want to call that an alter ego, yeah, because it's all, it's on our alternative reality in the situation that we're in. Right. So we present in the ways because that's you adapt to your environment. Uh, athletes have alter egos. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's and and actors and you know we on like right now. Yeah. We don't talk exactly like this when we're as soon as we're off air we go to a yeah. different way of talking because of, we have a social persona. Together. But that was my first. In, that was my Except first introduction to that type of thing being an athlete because I was a different person as an athlete right. than I was as a person. Was right. More Did confident. you hear me? We're breaking up. We're breaking up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, yeah, I'm just letting you know. Yeah, but yes, you're so you're right. So the athlete persona is very different than your personal, whatever else persona. But that is not the, that's not a clinical Tom diagnosis. Oh. Tom. Oh God, here it is coming to the end. We're bringing up Tom. <laughs> Tell me that's not Tom. I'm not saying a word about Tom. Which is why you I can't knew. retire. <laughs> it's 
I knew I was, he I was in the shower want, this morning going, oh, we're gonna talk he doesn't want to live in his normal personality. He wants to live in his quarterback personality. How do you know this? Let's talk Obs- about Edelman. You want to talk about Edelman going to Tampa? Jules? Yeah. Is he going to go to Tampa? He's not going to go. He's There's nothing He's left injured, in his remember? knee. Yeah. He's injured. Yeah. See my face? He's injured. Yeah. You see my smile? <laughs> <laughs> Mass exodus to Tampa. No, no. Jules is a patriot for life, he said there. Mm-hmm. Foxborough forever. Foxborough forever. I know, but personalities can change. I guess. Can't they? Yeah. That Especially would be disappointing. Right. That would be disappointing, but I understand. So well, hopefully this this topic today. Did you see that nice bypass? I'm yes. just bypassing right yep. past you. Um, hopefully this topic today was helpful for people. And um and illuminating and we could actually talk about bipolar disorder and also i was going to talk today about seasonal allergies since i have them and how it affects mental health lord yeah Um, because it actually does and people don't realize that um allergies can make you actually really agitated and depressed those of us who don't have them are very aware of this (laughs) (laughs) that was a shot at me it wasn't a shot and we're breaking up we're breaking up wasn't We're breaking a up. It was an observation. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it was narration. Is what it was. It was. Narration. <laughs> um. Anyway, so um. Next, uh, just a quick. Next week we're in, but I wanted to let people know that we will be having a show on Monday the third, fourth, fourth, uh, fourth, fourth, fourth. Um. So next week is normal, but then our next show we're gonna will do it be live Monday on the fourth. The fo- what? Are we going to do it live on the 4th? Yes. Or tape it and put it on the 6th? Okay, we'll do it live on the 4th. That's better. I like that. I'm going to do it live Excellent. on the 4th. Jeez, my show. God. That's, I'm just asking. Wasn't... Can I finish my statement? Yes. We're going to go live on the 4th, but our show is normal time next week, but we will be going live on the 4th. I don't remember. what I think we said a lot. It's after Ron, Ron Kolick's show. Yes. It's gonna after be... Ghost Chronicles on Monday the 4th, we 12, will be going live. 12, 10, 12, Whatever time that is. Yeah. And um, because we will not be live on the 6th because you'll be in Ireland. I'll be flying to Ireland. But you'll yes. be in Ireland. Yeah. At a wedding. Yeah. Beautiful wedding in Ireland. My daughter's photo op wedding. It's beautiful. Yeah. Hopefully you won't have fog. So, all right, you guys, um, if you would like to still donate to the New England Patriot Foundation charity run for my Boston Marathon number eight, but the 126 running that's happening in four weeks, just 20, well, 26 days, I think, um, please, uh, you can Venmo me at Kim Lannon. You can go to my given gain page that I can have Lou put up, um, or you can go to your daily game face on Facebook and message me, and I am happy to get that. Or you can contact me um, at any of my contact information that you see there, or you can t- contact Lou. But go to uh, the Facebook page, your daily game face, and scroll down a little bit. There's all the links and all the and information. All the links are there. Yep. Right, exactly. So, all right, you guys, have a great week, and I will see you next week. <laughs>